Hello and welcome to the Organic Gardening Podcast. I'm Sarah Brown and I'm joined by my colleague Chris Collins here at Garden Organic. We're here to share with you tips about how to garden and grow the organic way. It's October, so we'll be celebrating those autumn tasks. And our post bag includes questions on whether to plant a hedge, is it okay to have spiders in your potting shed, and what to do with all those green tomatoes. Our guest this month is the wonderful George Anderson. Chris travelled up to Scotland to chat with his old mentor and discuss his long history of gardening. When I got into horticulture and gardening, I mean, I was at the, the bottom of the pile of three. Even the dog was above. But before we start, I'd like to give a big thank you to our sponsors, the Organic Gardening Catalogue. Why not check out their catalogue online at organiccatalogue.com. You'll find a complete range of organic gardening products from seeds and plants to equipment. I urge you to look at their range of organic narcissi bulbs. There's the ever-cheerful little tete-a-tete and the gorgeous pure white talia. That's organiccatalogue.com. And if you're a member of Garden Organic, you'll get 10% off. So now I'm off to meet Chris in the potting shed. Morning, Chris. How are you? Morning, Sarah. Very well. How about you? Oh, I'm good, but it's it's October. It's the end <laughs> of summer and, and we have to be think positive because it's very sad losing those lovely sun-filled long gardening days. Would you agree? Oh, I certainly would. I mean, I mean, one of the benefits of living in the UK is those lovely long days, isn't it? Those evenings. I can I can get home from work at five and still have two, three hours on the allotment and that's all sort of going now. But on another side of it, I, quite, I love autumn. I kind of think almost as a, like a give thanks period because I've had this sort of amazing summer. I, on my allotment, for example, it's been so full and so much going on, flowers and produce, but it was just a handful of seeds, you know, when it when it was a spring. Mm-hmm. And now, it, you know, plants are not stupid. It's coming to the end. The days are getting shorter. It's getting cooler. They're like, okay, I'm going to have a little kip. It might be if I'm deciduous, I might lose my leaves. If I'm an annual, I might just overwinter a seed. Or if I'm a herbaceous, I might go under the ground as roots. But I'm going to call it a day. And then next spring will be renewal. And I kind of really admire how inter- intelligent nature is. And, and October certainly makes me feel that way. Plus, also, it's the time for ideas, Sarah. Oh, you've got ideas, have you? <laughs> Always. <laughs> Mainly above my station, I must say. But, <laughs> but yes, yeah, obviously, it's about thinking about what you want to do the following year, or even through the winter, maybe, you know, when you want to redesign stuff, re-landscape stuff. Um, it's always an, I, lots of things jumbling in my head. I tend to, as a gardener, I always kind of reflect on what I've had to deal with through this season and how I could maybe change it for next season. A good example is my allotment next to me has been left wild for quite a lot of the time. People take it on, can't handle it and leave again. So I've got all oh, this that's seed. that's quite common, isn't it? Yes, where, it's a big spaces. Well, I think that, you know, people get a false impression. They see the telly and they see garden shows and they go, this will be easy. And it doesn't necessarily work out that way. It's maybe a good point to say share allotments. If you don't, yes, if you're new to it, Split it up between three or four of you. But we digress. I think that I'm thinking about all this seed that keeps flying into my allotments. Cause it means that sometimes I can't keep on top of it. And I want to think about how I tackle that next year. So my mind is ticking over. And as always, as always, Sarah, I'm thinking about what do I want to plant? So yeah. what do you think you can put in there, Chris? Well, maybe, maybe, maybe I could slow it down by a bit of hedging along that side. I might even go exotic and plant a row of artichoke, maybe down there, those big grey silvery leaves. Quite a lot of plots on the, on my site have those. Maybe that'll stop the, mm. the transport things. The mm. other thing is maybe I'll do more perennial planting, trying to fill it out more. Like, as all organic gardeners, 
we don't want to see soil really you want to keep soil healthy but we want it to be full don't we because it lowers the water in i think that's a very good point because i think this time of year particularly in the veg patch there's quite a lot of bare soil appearing because beans are finished or our tomatoes are finished or whatever and we've pulled up our potatoes and those bare patches you want to protect the soil over winter so what i'm putting down is a lot of leaf mold i happen to have some straw as well because i keep hens so leaf mold straw anything that's this organic matter it may not be particularly nutritious for the soil but that's not a problem you don't want to feed the soil this time of year but you're looking after it through the winter you're protecting it I I I like to think of it as like putting a duvet down to keep the soil life inside it warm and protected through the winter yeah because it stops all those things you don't want happening like leaching nutrients being washed through water logging soil structure if you put in green manures for example and the mulch keep the worms happy keep the microorganisms happy so just always always think of your soil as a living organism you need to take care of that and keep it healthy and that this is this time of year particularly important as you say because gaps start to appear everywhere don't they as you're pulling stuff out and to me also one of the joys of october is that smell of the soil that smell of the rotting leaves and whatever it's a very very strong autumn smell i love it 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 just brings up this whole time of year you're moving from summer salads to warming stews you know that whole mentality as you say about of of change of seasons i think it's magic i really do And it is a perfect time to replan your growing space. I'm looking at my herbaceous border, for instance, and realizing that the whole thing has got to be dug over. Unfortunately, I've got ground elder in one end of it. So I'm going to dig the whole bed over, lift all the perennials that are in there, decide which ones I want to keep and which ones didn't perform very well, don't need them anymore. And I'm going to divide them and replant them once I've taken out all that ground elder root system. It's really good process to make a note of what worked and what didn't. Exactly. And, and remember that because our plants are entering dormancy, this is the time so you can lift them, split them, move them, divide them, get rid of them, put more in. Autumn particularly, I love, I'm a big autumn planter. It's the best time of year to do it. You've got the whole winter for the plant to establish itself by putting down its roots. It's not concentrating on photosynthesis and it'll concentrate on root production. This is a time for you to play with your palettes. I agree. And the other thing, of course, in October, we can't possibly miss mentioning is seed saving. I'm I'm trying to save seed everywhere I can for the simple reason that if it works, brilliant. If it doesn't, it hasn't cost me anything. So I'm looking at all the flowers that have seeded themselves amongst my vegetables, things like marigolds, nasturtiums, snapdragons, larkspur. They've all put themselves in there. I'm now saving the seed heads into envelopes. Who knows? Maybe they'll grow again next year. I was reading up about stratification, Chris, because I read that uh, yarrow particularly needs stratification. And by that, I understood that the seed needs to get cold. We need to reflect the seasons. So the seed needs to be cold before it can germinate. Now, I'm going to put mine in the fridge for a month as if it's been in deep winter. And then when it comes out again, it's ready to germinate. Have you tried this process? Uh, yeah, stratification comes in many forms. And I have to say, you know, this is the genius of plants, the ability to completely slow down, almost stop being alive in the form of a seed until conditions are right to start to grow. This is why they've been around longer than anything else. It's just genius. So you're perfectly right. Um, plants from uh, temperate parts of the world 
like Achelia, like even like our big trees, our broad leaf trees, they need periods of cold to tell the seed, I don't want to germinate when it's frosty, otherwise I'm not going to last. And then it gets warm, right, now's my chance to go. But plants do it in many ways. A brilliant example is the poppy. And what poppy needs, it needs light to germinate. So it will sit in the dark and it will just wait. No point trying to germinate if conditions aren't right. And then obviously during the fields of the war, the bombing campaigns, it turned up the poppy seeds and they all germinated. And they can live 100 years under the soil in the dark before you get right opportunity. Another brilliant example is that if you go to um, America, the big redwoods, the seeds of sides of a bit of dust, but it needs fire, it needs heat in order to germinate. It happens in many ways, in many, many different ways. It is absolute genius. If you want an example of how amazing plants are, Look no further than stratification. It's incredible. Oh, and what about bulbs? Just the thought that this bulb is down deep, deep, deep dark in the soil, and yet somehow in its DNA, it knows when to start sprouting. And I know a lot of people are going to be ordering bulbs this month. If you do order bulbs, please, please try and make them organic ones. You've talked before about the amount of pesticides that are used in bulb production, Chris, and I think it's something, if we can, we should avoid it. Well, they soak them in them, don't they? I mean, it's a big industry. The movement of the organic bulb is really growing now, and it's done through agroforestry, permaculture, so they plant them in with other plants. They do a six-year cycle, which means that natural balance uh, then arrives in the soil to keep the, the pest and disease down. It's a longer process, but it is getting more and more popular, and that means it's going to get cheaper and more available to us and obviously at the moment there's problems with we don't just go into politics but things coming in and out of the country but that leaves at some point always look to organic bulbs and i grew nothing but organic bulb on my balcony this spring and it was a wonderful display and i was chuffed with that it wasn't too expensive and i just got this incredible display without putting poisons down that's i'm proud of that that's really good excellent i'm glad i'm glad and of course, since we're talking about planning and, and what worked and what didn't work, I guess we've also got that mentality maybe of tidying up a bit in the garden now that the summer growth is over. As always, the big message is don't be too tidy because the garden isn't just yours. The garden also belongs to the insects, the small mammals, the birds, all the other wildlife that lives in it. And they need shelter during the winter. So a pile of dead leaves twigs, grass stems will provide that perfect shelter for them. You're quite careful on your allotment, aren't you, Chris, about that? It's interesting because being a trained gardener in my early years, we, we were very obsessive about neatness and tidiness. You know, you edged the lawn and you, you pulled the weeds out when you saw them. But it's interesting how it's changed. Now you start to see it differently as an industry, but also as the general public, is that it's a shared space. We use this expression over and over again, don't we, Sarah? But I am as a gardener. I like things to be quite tidy. I just do. And mm. so what I tend to do is I deliberately quite artistically I like to think make habitat piles I have them through the allotment on the winter so it's not haphazard I'm planning it but I'm making that provision because I want that to be a shared space and obviously winter's a hard time for wildlife and you need to make sure it's looked after I like that I like the idea that being untidy doesn't mean to say it's got to look ugly as well I think there's yeah. a, a, a thinking behind it and then of course finally we're bringing plants in this month before the worst of the frosts pelagoniums begonias the, the, those plants that we love and we can keep growing over the seasons just if you do I think it's important to check that they're not diseased in any way because you don't want to bring the diseases indoors so make sure that any leaves that are dead or dying or, or looking diseased strip them off 
and only bring in a really healthy plant. Yeah, I tend to reduce mine as well. I tend to reduce the leaf surface area. They're going into dormancy. So if I have a pelargonium, I've got some beautiful pelargoniums on the balcony. I will take them down by two thirds. So there's less leaf, less foliage. They're not transpiring so heavily. And I'll sit them quite dry inside over the winter. I'm a big seed sower. So a lot of my stuff is seasonal. Most of it will go on the compost bin, but I've got a few odd favourites out there that I want to bring in the house. Yeah. And Chris, we're back to your favourite bit, which is your plant of the month. What are you going for this month? Well, I'm going to go for Corylus this month, the hazel. OK, That's, this is a native plant. You'll see it many places, but it's actually quite a clever plant in the way that you can use it in your garden for other things as well. If you left it as a, just one tree, it would get quite tall, 30 foot maybe. You don't need to do that. It will coppice. So for many, many years, we've used both hazel and hornbeam as, as, as a timber, as a, a supply for crafts, country crafts, also to grow your sweet peas up, et cetera, et cetera. So if you want one, don't worry if you've got a small space because you're just going to coppice it, which means you let it put on some growth then you cut it hard back and let it shoot again. And it'll become multi-stemmed. You get these beautiful growths on it, quite thin stems on it. Very, very beautiful. And what you do is you thin that out every year as the years go by. I think if you put it in a big pot, and you fed it and watered it properly, you could probably even grow it in a pot as well. But it's both a very beautiful plant. It's what I call a backbone plant. So if you put it in a border, you can plant lower around it. It's got these beautiful big leaves, really beautiful autumn colour. The birds love nesting in it. It's a win-win all round. Sounds lovely. So that's a hazel, Corylus. Yes. Great. Thank you, Chris. Okay, okay, well, look, enjoy your October and enjoy your planning and your hot cups of tea when the weather gets cold. We'll, we'll talk next month. Thanks, Sarah. Good luck with lifting your perennials. <laughs> Thank you. And that damn ground elder. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, Sarah. Bye then. And now it's time for our special guest, George Anderson. George has a long and distinguished horticultural career, from a pot-washing gardener's lad to head of the School of Horticulture at the Edinburgh Botanic Gardens. Chris was one of his students back in the day, and he took great pleasure in meeting him earlier this year. Well, welcome, listeners, to the Garden Organic podcast interview. I am treated today because I am in sunny Joppa in the lovely city of Edinburgh <laughs> with my old mentor, George Anderson. Um, I think that may be quite a lot of you might know him because he's a, he's a TV star these days. But actually, there's much, much more to him than that. And a horticulturist, and I'm going to say this without giving away our ages, but I think between us, George, there's about 85 years of professional gardening here. Well, I've been gardening since I was 16, so that's 61 years. Wow. <laughs> that's incredible. Well, that's a lot of uh, wisdom build-up. I've got to ask about background. How did you fall into it? I was, I was born into a, a, a farming sort of family. Father was a, was a smallholder, and... Um, uncles had farms and when we used to go and visit though the first thing that happened when you went to visit your relatives was you got dragged out to the garden right and you had to go around the garden and you had so you were kind of absorbing all this information by osmosis now i had one uncle who, who used to take me out fishing and things like that and he was the guy that i sort of focused on but he was a sheep dealer so when i was at school when i was asked in third year, what I wanted to do when I left school, I wanted to be a shepherd. Right, right. But then so you always was... had that, that longing for outdoor space. Well, yeah, 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 to be outside and, and to be involved with that, because school was... I, I can't say that school was a terribly exciting time mm. for me. I don't think it was a, a place where I really achieved as much as, I, as everybody else wanted me to. So mother... Mothers are wonderful. Oh, yeah. Mother had seen an advert in the local paper yeah. where one of the local uh, estates was looking for a gardener's boy. So that was how I started. And that, that place was Smeaton. 
Smitten Gardens, East Lincoln. So you started like real, sort of proper apprentice then, right at the bottom, yeah, pot, yeah. washing the pots and doing That's the weed right. and doing all the, right. all, the, all, the, all the physical stuff. And, and, and all of a sudden I realised that, you know, I left school with not one academic qualification. I had nothing, uh-huh. right? No hires, no lowers, no O-levels. When I got to into horticulture and gardening, I mean, I was the, the bottom of the pile of three. Even the dog was above me. <laughs> so I, I was the one that was the butt of jokes, but I learnt... And that was the thing. I was I was taught extremely well by the head gardener. And, and we had everything in the in the walled garden. Yeah. We had bedding plants, trees on the wall, we had vegetables, we had cut flowers, dahlias and things like that. We grew cauliflower plants and leek plants in frames, which we then pulled and bundled up into twenty fives and sent all over the country. Right, so yeah. With our bedding plants then it was all soil compost. I used to have to dig the soil out of the compost heaps that were in the wood and uh, bring it in and, and riddle it and mix it with peat as we used then and, and sand and all the rest of it and put John in his base in it. And we used to get the fish boxes from the deep sea restaurant right. in, at the top of Leith Walk yeah, in Edinburgh, yeah, which yeah. you will know from your student days. And you uh, use them as seed trays and We stuff. used yeah, them yeah. as seed trays. So that was where I started. And then I found that I was, I actually, I can do this. So that gave me that gave mm. me confidence. And it's a, it's a great story for, for youngsters, you know, that once you get into something which you know you can do, just go with it. Yeah, just, yeah. You know, get involved. Yeah, yeah. Just go with it. You, how much has it changed, do you think, in practice between when you started off as a gardener's boy to here now, where we are well, now? when I started, it was all soil-based compost. So you're making your own, basically? Making your own yeah. compost. You had, you had seven parts of soil, three parts of peat, two parts of sand. You used to do the wheelbarrows at the botanics. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. you mixed your, you mix your fertiliser in with that. And then what happened after that was that we had these uh, UCA composts, you know, the University of California compost that came in, which were the, the pure peat ones. Right. Because all of a sudden, peat was the king. It yeah. was the thing which was you were able to grow almost anything in. And it's kind of tidy, it isn't it? Yeah, and it's tidy, it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't get too dirty, all that. Do you right. think that all plays well? Right. It's easy to package and move around. That's right. And then, remember, uh, that we went from, from that, we've now gone on to coir, which I'm not a fan of, because I don't believe that it's as, uh, it's as viable as, it is, as, it, as people say, because it's got to come from such a distance. Yeah, because of, of the air carbon That's involved. right. So I know... And in my own gardening, I use the wool and bracken one, right. which is uh, the Lake District product. And I also use uh, one which is pure bark-based. I try to keep away from the wood fibre and the, the you know the domestic waste one or the garden waste one. Yeah, that's one. interesting. That's because well, the domestic waste one tends to make a good mulch, but I wouldn't be growing my seeds in it. That's no. kind of yeah. No, but it's interesting no, that no. you've moved that you've actually you've gone like most most of us have. We've kind of moved. We've recognised the peat problem that we're moving yeah, away from yeah. it. Garden Organic is always promoting making your own compost. And I think, because we're so used to everything being packaged and presented to us, people see that as a far-off thing. But it's not that difficult to do, is it? It's not. Well, I mean, I, I've got a compost heap at the allotment. I have an allotment as well. Or two compost heaps. One that in use and one that, you know, that's, that's making itself. And then round the side of the house here, I've got three bays. So the middle one is where all the household scraps and everything else goes. That's the current one that we're filling up. The one on the right-hand side has had the compost put into it, and you know you keep adding to it, and it keeps getting, it keeps going down, it's <laughs> decomposing, and all the rest. Of it. And then the one on the left-hand side is the one that we filled last year. And on top of that, I will plant courgettes this year. Right, you'll actually plant into I'll it. Yeah, plant yeah. Courgettes yeah. into it, and we get a crop of courgettes off that, and then all of that will be will be cut, put into bags, and taken to the allotment. Right, and that feeds the allotment. But what's interesting is. The, you know, the, the tomatoes that you didn't use in your salad you threw in, 
And so you've got tomato seedlings, you've got seedlings, <laughs> seedlings of uh, courgettes, there were seedlings of uh, squashes coming up, and apples. I didn't realise you even got any apples. apples. <laughs> yeah, well, but, at least you know you have um, a healthy diet. Well, that's right. <laughs> yeah. that's right. And I think it's also important, I think, with um, artificial fertilisers, one thing I've learned over the years is they're kind of quick fixes. So you put something on, which is, um, like, uh, uh, say, Osmocote or, some, or a slow release, yeah. Yeah. or called a slow release, but it, it has a, like a peak, a quick rush of fertiliser. Yeah. Whereas compost breaks down, it loses its nutrient much slower, doesn't yeah. it? So it does, and it, it, and it does. also conditions the soil, so it's it's got it's better for longevity. It's, is it? it's a win-win situation, and and if you want to go down the the route of um, no dig, for example, yeah, yeah, it's it's quite good. Your own yeah. compost on the top. If you can put it down early and get the weeds to germinate, and then you know we used to talk about the stale seed bed technique, wasn't it? Where you 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 uh, rake the soil level and you left it for a while, and then the weeds germinate, and you hoe it, and then you let it leave it for a while, and then it germinates again and you hoe them off again and then you sow your seeds yeah. they've not got any weed seeds left because right, you've let them do they've, they've come up to start with yeah, right. yeah 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 well, it's quite interesting as well sort of the environmental and the organic stuff's got real traction within our industry but we were practicing quite a lot of this previously when well, like the wooden trays is quite a good example because well, yeah yeah so yeah. We, and if anything broke it was fixed in house wasn't it and this kind of thing uh, yes, do you, do you yeah. think this is where we need to be going back to as an industry consumers i think we can go back that way right. i think our home in home gardening i think we can go that way i mean for example, I'm friendly with the local fishmonger here. So I, I use a lot of expanded polystyrene yeah. boxes. Yeah. Right? Uh, people say, oh, you shouldn't be using that. And I say, Why not? Because it's where my apples get stored outside. Yeah, so you're, so you're not shelter. throwing them away. No, yeah. no. They've, yeah, kept, yeah. They've, they've been there for about five years. So, so the issue is if it's single use, as if we, it's, it's, what, it's what we do yeah, with this stuff. I can't, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, single use plastics, for example, yeah. milk bottle cartons and the, the fruit cartons that you get your strawberries or your grapes in, these deep ones, I use them for sowing seeds. Yes, and so that, I mean, that's an interesting point. I keep plastic pots because that's what I tend, when you buy stuff, it tends to come in there. And, I'll, and I keep a load of them and I look at them sometimes and I think, oh, you know, I shouldn't be doing this, it's building up. Yeah, I use every one of them. <laughs> every one of them has got a plant in. Oh, yeah. And then they'll all be yeah. put back in the tray at the end of the... That's and, right. Yeah, yeah. And, they'll, and they'll go Not again next year. Not necessarily washed, though. I, I do worry about this, the single plastic use. But, the, the, you know, the black pots, for example, I go into the supermarket and you see these deep pots which are used for the black pots which are used for the, the flowers. Yeah, Come yeah. The flower coming. For, good for runner beans and stuff like that. Well, yeah. I, I grow my, uh, I grow my um, daffodil bulbs. I grow a lot of daffodil bulbs for showing and things like that. I grow a lot of them in them. But then I also use those. I cut them up and use them as labels. Right. Because it's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, and a, yeah. black, a black label in the soil with white writing on it never shows right. up. It a, doesn't show a... up until you look for it. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas a white label... It's right and, in your oh, face. Yeah. Like a... So that's a good tip, isn't it, out to, out to you? So you, you are bringing that recycling. Yeah. We've always been quite good at using assets as gardeners, haven't we? We've yes. never been wasteful, yeah. I don't think. That's right. I, I think there's now there's a little bit of a peak of people being interested in our subject, but also we'll bring in the environmental and the and the organic concerns. And so, what would be your advice to them if you if they were going to come into the trade now? Oh, that's a big question, isn't it? <laughs> that's, a, that's a killer. That one. Yeah, it is. That's a conversation stopper. Uh, well, I I would say that the one thing that people have got to be interested in when they come into the industry is they've got to be interested in plants. Because they're not going to make millions. No. This is not an industry where you get paid huge amounts of money. But by Jove, it's an industry where you can get a huge amount of satisfaction and where you can be doing something which has enormous benefits, not just for you, but for everybody mm. else that you're, you know, that's, that you're supplying, everybody else that's your customer, everybody else that, that you're dealing with if you go into a local authority. 
Think of all the people in parks that you, you know, that you have helped uh, to enjoy open space, it's, it's, to enjoy plants. The number of people, Chris, that have taken up gardening during these difficult mm. times with lockdown and COVID and all the rest of it is absolutely astonishing. But the thing that really surprises you, I'm sure, and me, is that people, when they start trying to grow things, they've forgotten. Yeah. They don't know. Yeah. And it's, but it's but it's a it's a blissful ignorance. It's an ignorance which is not a nasty ignorance because nobody has shared it with them. Yeah. It's not telling. It's sharing. Yes. And you touch on that thing that's really interesting is, is the spiritual benefits, but also what we can uh, what what we have to offer society as gardeners is quite important. I think, isn't it? As people. Yeah. It's yeah, a very underrated yeah. subject, isn't it? Well, we're very down to earth, if you'll excuse the pun. We are. We're, yeah. We've got our hands in the soil, we've got our feet in the ground, and, and we're the people who are dealing with things which are day-to-day. And the healing aspects of plant growing are enormous. Uh, if we look at the benefits of therapeutic horticulture uh-huh. to people who have had mental illness, who are recovering from uh, some traumatic event in their life, the fact that they've got to go out and look after a plant is a focus which they cannot get away from. It's it's like having a pet. Yeah. You know, you have... Oh, I can't, I can't not do that because I've got to go <laughs> yeah, and water yeah. the plants. I've got to come out into the garden. Every morning I come out and have a look around. You'll be the same on your balcony. Yeah. You'll be out, you have a look around, you take in the air, you have a look to see what's going on, you listen to the birds. You're, we're, we're outside and that has huge benefits. I think it's, if you... if Also, if you're struggling as a person or you, and you're relying on other <clears> people a lot, say it could be because of physical problems or mental yeah. problems, Having a plant, I always think, having a plant, it, it, that switches it around. You know, the plant needs you and you well, bother right. the plant. And your, you, your focus yeah, changes. Yeah, your absolutely. Focus changes. It's, it's not about... Right. And that, it's a freedom. It's, that's a freedom, isn't yeah. it? That's quite um, liberating. It also shows you that you are important because you're needed, yeah. you're needed by this entity, which is yes. a plant, and this growing system. You can't walk away from it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it. Yes, but, yes. but the excitement in a child or, or in or older people now <laughs> who, have ne- who had never experienced it before of sewing something, seeing it growing, nurturing it, and then eating it. For goodness sake, yeah, what more do you want? And so I wonder, we've got these, they reckon three million people have taken up gardening during lockdown. Yeah. That could be quite important for, 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 the, for the gardening industry, I think, for uh, organic practices, for environmental mm-hmm. stuff. That, could, that, how do we make sure we kind of retain that, do you think? That's, a, that's another big question. Well, that's a, that's <laughs> yeah, a huge yeah. question. I mean, that but it's quite an important one, isn't it? Well, I think, I think there's got to be some political intervention here. And we don't want to go into the, the realms of politics. But uh. I, I think that government has got to accept the huge benefits there are from, from plants, generally. Yeah. Now, I was astonished the other day. It was an item in the papers about heat islands in cities. And all of a sudden, I've discovered that the plant trees that can lower the temperature. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Can you remember back to the 1970s? <laughs> yeah, when we yeah. were talking about the same thing in the lecture room at the Botanic. I do indeed, and it, it's, it's interesting because we were planting more trees back then than we are now. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so, yeah, yeah so it's yeah, all like yeah. people are thinking this is a new discovery, but, oh, we, but we've known yeah. these benefits for a while. But where there maybe I would argue there's been a problem is our undermining of the funding for our parks and places like yeah. this. And yeah, so you, you might yeah, you touch. Yeah. I know we don't want to get into politics, but there, there has to be there has to be investment, doesn't there? I think, as practitioners, I don't agree. I would never call myself an expert because every day is a school day. And yes, you, you know, every day yeah. you learn something new. So I would, I would say that as practitioners, we've got to keep banging the drum about the benefits of horticulture, yeah. about the benefits of plants. Uh, you know, about the importance of plants to the planet. Well, why not? Yeah, which is quite why, important, isn't it? <laughs> it's kind of important, isn't it? I mean, we're pretty I mean, we're done. If we, if we don't save the planet, then we've got a bit of an issue. We have. Well, <laughs> yeah. we're, we're, 
As we get older, as you will find, Chris, the longer you sit in the one spot, the more of the things we knew come back round. Yeah, you I, think there's definitely, I think there's definitely... It's a recycling process. I, I think so. I mean, because having become really interested in all the organic stuff, oh. I always kind of think that I have this discussion, because a lot of people, a lot of youngsters, they like the idea of coming to all because they like to, go, like to go into design. It's always design, mm. design. And I always say to myself, well, actually, a garden is created by the love and care of a gardener. <clears throat> Not by a pen and a paper, so it's that interaction, isn't it? That that kind of. I'm not a garden designer. I don't do design. Yeah. But I can sit at a window and I can look out and I can say, well, I could do with such and such. Yeah. yeah. Also, you kind of coming back to plants again. Is that having that knowledge? I always really encourage everyone to do this. Just find out a little bit about it. How big is it going to get? When is it going to flower? That kind of stuff. So build up that knowledge. I mean, I don't think there's anything better in gardening than being able to walk down the road and recognise plants and see what they well, do. And... But you had the benefit of that because you were you were in an area where plants were labelled. Yeah. Everything was there for you to absorb. This is at the botanics. At the botanics, yeah, yeah. yeah you, it was it was there for you. And if you if you can recognise plants and you get excited about them, then you start to grow them. You know, you walk around the garden, but it's actually, it, it's a piece of social history. Yeah. Because every plant has a person attached to it. Yeah. You know where you got it. You so it's got memories, it's got, it's, it's got nostalgia, Absolutely. it's got, yeah. but it's got seasonal yeah. beauty. So it's hit That's, right. Yeah, That's yeah. right. Yeah. 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 But I want to talk a bit about the botanics, because I think botanic gardens are very underrated establishments. And, and is Edinburgh doing well? Is it thriving? Is it out and about? Is it helping with all these um, community things you're involved with? Is it yeah. there? Yeah, it's there. I mean, it's, it's there. It has... Um, the demonstration garden which they had, they have they have a, a good outreach there. They they have uh, student plots in there which are for the the HND students mm. who are now doing the. It's very plantsmanship HND. based, isn't it? Well, that was it. But the plantsmanship course, what we developed, what David Ray, that was my colleague yeah, then, and David, you'll yeah. remember David, and he and I worked together for twenty one years, and he and I developed what we called a plant portfolio, and the students had to do plant profiles of up to one hundred and fifty plants. Right. And what it did was it made them look at plants. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. made them really go and, and look, see where they came from, how you cultivate it, how you propagate it, how you do this, how you do that, how you use it in society and, and everything. Of course, and there are now some brilliant plants people coming I mean, out of there. Like, absolutely. Uh, quite interesting because in the 90s, I remember there was a, all the courses in that, the sort of the, the B Tech places, learn how to lay a patio, learn how to build. Oh, yeah, there wasn't any right. emphasis on plants. And so what I find now, if I want gardeners, mm. I find I struggle to get good plantsmen because. There yes. wasn't an emphasis yeah, on one yeah. point, so you're kind of filling a gap there, aren't you? But there's a yeah, there's a problem in education now is that a lot of it is non-practical based. There's no practical basis for yeah, which it, which is a bit of a disaster for gardening, I'd argue. It's an absolute <laughs> no, it's an absolute disaster. No, it's an absolute disaster. We 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 don't have anybody learning through their hands. Yeah. And the thing is, if you can learn through your hands, by Joe, it sticks in your mind. Yeah, you never forget you've, it. You've done yeah. it. Mm. The other thing that we're slipping about here, yeah. you mentioned hard landscaping and this and that. Think of the damage that all this hard landscaping has Just done. Just cement alone yeah. as well. And oh, it's, it's incredibly but, environmentally but water, bad. Water shedding as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, Driveways and all this. Driveways, but there's also the CO2 that's used up or created while you're making it. Then you put it down and it sheds the water and it causes flooding. And, yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh, come on, stop yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, let's, let's finish on something nice and jolly because I, I, I know, I find this amazing. You retired quite a while back. In fact, I remember when that all happened and, uh, and you've been busier than ever, ever since. And one 
of those things is you're now a TV celebrity, aren't you? So tell me, how's that? How well, you found all that? Well, I, I just, it, I, you, I, it didn't surprise me. You would <laughs> struck me as someone who'd been naturally be able to do that, and that's how it's been. So ah, but it wasn't easy. No, 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 it wasn't easy. What was a joy was that I used to watch Beach Grove, the program we're talking about here. And the person who germinated that was Jim McCall. Yes, I know Jim, yeah. Jim, recently uh, retired, big Jim recently McCall. Recently yeah, retired. Yeah. But Jim was, in many ways, my distant mentor. Right. Uh, and he was the guy that, you know, I, I always kind of aspired to be like. He became a trustee of the Royal Botanic Garden Edinburgh when I was there. And so right. I got to know him a bit more there. Incredible plants, man. Oh, huge. Yeah, huge. Yeah. But knowledge, just bread of yeah, knowledge incredible. was incredible. Yeah, yeah. He came to the botanics as a, as a trustee. Then eventually, he was the chairman of Gardening Scotland, which was the Chelsea Light Gardening Show, which we had at Ingleston. And then we got Beech Grove. And so I was invited to, to go and do a screen test. And I remember one of the screen tests I did was for the programme which they were going to do in Northern Ireland. Yeah. But it turned out it was too Scottish. I've had the two Cockney thing many a time. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, anyway, I was like a rabbit in the headlights. Well, it worked because they've used you and now well, you're, you're a steadfast on it. You know, you must be quite well known in Scotland now, so imagine, even down south, because it's very popular down south, Beech Grove now. We well, get it on Sunday mornings and I, you know, people yeah, well, watch right, it, right. yeah. I can remember years ago going down to an AGM for the RHS. I was on RHS council and I went down GM at Wisley and I walked in to the tent and there was a lady on the door and said, oh, 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 you're him from, I said, from Beach Grove? Yes, she said, I said, oh, do you watch it? Said, oh, yes, I watch it every week. I said, now, where are you gardening? And she says, well, I garden on the south coast near Southampton. I says, is the programme any good to you? <laughs> oh, she says, yes. It tells me what I should have done a fortnight ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's so true. <clears throat> but it's, it's, a, it's a smaller space yeah, garden. Yeah, yeah. And, but also, I think it's very, um, it's uh, less magazine more informative, I find it, yeah. if that makes sense yeah, to you. Yeah, it, it's, yeah. um, I, I, you, you know, you learn things out of it. I think telly's always a danger, isn't there, of it all being sexy shots and whatnot. And then, you, yeah. you, you know, that's yeah, one of the, yeah, the dangers. Yeah. Yeah. But saying again about beach grove as well, if you want gardening tips, organic gardening tips, there's plenty of them in there, isn't there, oh, as well? And well, we're now, we're now being quite actively going down the, the sustainability and the, the organic... It's the way we're going, isn't and it? And peat-free. Yeah. And yeah. peat-free as yeah. well, yeah. <clears throat> and even you've got the big boys like the RHS are getting involved with the peat-free stuff as well. Yeah. So there's no kind of turning yeah. this yeah. back, is there, really? There isn't. There is big improvements on, on peat-free composts. Um, when I tr first tried to use it um, 20 years ago, when I was at Westminster Abbey, I, I was oh, useless. It was, rubbish. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, no, I mean, it was a waste it of time. Was yeah. Awful. But I think, I think too, Chris, that there is a problem. It's a question of knowing how to regulate your irrigation. Yeah, it's all down to them. watering. Do you think it, in many ways? I think ways. it's yeah, all down to yeah. watering. Mm. And I find that with some of the some of the, the wood-based ones and and the, the bracken and wool, you've you've got to be careful how you water. You have to. Yeah. That's to. really that's really interesting not, you say it's that. Not, uh, Speaking to your plants, but yeah. it's being there every day. And yeah, at yeah, them. mate. Just feeling the atmosphere. Yeah. I always kind of yeah. thought. I always <clears> think of watering as my bonding exercise because that's when oh. you're you're assessing what <clears> the, <throat> the plants can discern and, and all that kind of thing. Right. But it's interesting yeah. you say that. It, it, for all gardeners out there, you're using peat free, you know, and you're using or homemade compost. Attention to irrigation is fundamental, yeah. isn't it? In yeah, some it ways, is. it's the, the most is. skillful job a gardener does. And I'm glad it's really nice to come up in Scotland as well. Always, we're always down south a bit too much, so yeah. it's nice because I have to say this: Scot horticulture to me is very much a Scottish thing. It's ingrained in your culture, isn't it? Up here, it really is. Yeah. All the big collectors yeah. were Scottish, and I think right. it, it's. Um... There was a there was a thing in in Scotland. I think because of its religious centering. Yeah. The Protestant uh, ethos in Scotland yeah. uh, was all about sharing and, and so forth. 
So what happened was that you get people like Forsyth going down to the RHS and they had knowledge of Scotland and they would then, when a Scottish guy came down as a you know a head gardener, come and work for me. Yeah. So all the lords wanted to have a Scottish guy. Right, because so they became they the in thing, basically. Because they were, they were well-educated. Yeah. They could read and they could write. Yes. And that's had, really done, interesting. I mean, it, done, yeah, because Hooker yeah. set up Q, didn't he? And I, and, right. you know, but he was from Glasgow. He was a Glaswegian, wasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> and Forrest and all these people oh, were all yeah, were yeah. all Douglas, all Scots, weren't they? They, they were Scots, and, and they were they were hardy. This was yeah. the other thing that they don't take much to look after. You know, they're they're hardy. They'll survive on next day. <laughs> yeah. So we'll send them off. <laughs> yes, yeah. right, they, 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 they can deal with that East Coast weather, mate. They'll yeah, deal with anything. It, yeah. 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 <laughs> well, I, I am, I, I was very, I still am to this minute, very proud to have uh, to been educated in Scottish horticulture. So um, hopefully we take that forward, George. And really nice to be here. Really nice to see you again. Thank you for, your, for, for having a chat, mate. George Brilliant. Anderson, excellent. Oh, that lovely Scottish voice. It's like diving into a single malt. There'll be a second chance to catch up with Chris and George later this month when we hear the other part of their chat in the Unpruned episode. George will be walking Chris around his garden as they talk about taking cuttings and saving seeds. Be sure to press the subscribe button and you won't miss it. But now it's time to open the post bag. Chris is here with me and we're joined by Anton. Hi, both. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Anton. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Chris. Okay, our first question. I'd like to plant a hedge, but I have a town garden. What plants would you recommend? Anton, would you like to go on this? I think hedges are brilliant things. They're really, really underrated. I mean, they serve so many benefits. I mean, particularly for wildlife, you know, it's a habitat for things to live in. They produce berries. They also do lots of things to abate noise, perhaps if you're in a town garden. And it's been shown that it can do stuff against air pollution as well. So I would actually go for native British species, Perhaps one of the most common things that people go for would be hawthorn. They, they're sort of reasonably quick going. It's got nice red berries on it for the wildlife. Perhaps also include some blackthorn in there as well, because um, that's particularly nice for getting the slows on there, if you like making slow gin. I also like a dog rose in amongst that, because it's got nice flowers, but also you get those lovely red berries, which last through the winter. Um, so that's just a selection of a few things. Um, you can actually often buy native hedging mix as well. So if you can't remember all the species, then you can buy them as a mix. Anton, I love the fact that you've gone for um, hedges that don't just have berries, but also have the most beautiful flowers. Hawthorn is lovely in the spring, thick with blossom. And yes, a hedge is such a good idea for wildlife. It's not just birds, but it's also small mammals, maybe hedgehogs, mice, and insects, of course, which will be able to find shelter in the leaves at the bottom of the hedge. Um, Chris, I think it's worth talking about how to plant a hedge at this stage and also a bit of maintenance. Certainly, yeah. Well, this is the perfect time of year as we come into the autumn to plant a hedge, if you're thinking about doing it, especially if you're going to do bare root, which is how I would like to do it. Anton mentioned uh, bundles of native plants. You can buy them as bare root from probably a, actually a local nursery, so your carbon footprint will be quite low. And that means it doesn't come in a pot. It comes in a bundle wrapped in hessian and it comes as whips. So a whip is a very young plant, a very young tree. So if you've got a, a blackthorn or a hawthorn, it would come maybe as a, as a one-year-old plant and it'd be about maybe a foot, foot and a half. 
But how I practically go about it is first I would measure the area I wanted to put the hedge and I'd put down a line. I'd put two pins in a line. Originally, you would have dug a trench and you would have composted that trench. You'd put some good organic matter in. You'd fork that into the bottom of the trench and put the soil back. For those of you who are lovers of no dig, which I quite understand, just put the compost on the top. Okay, so let the worms pull it into the soil. But you put that line down for a reason because you've obviously that then you can calculate how many whips you need. I would plant always on a stagger with my whips, okay? So I put them 30 centimetres apart, left, right, left, right, left, right, either side of the line. So you've got what's going to happen as those plants start to grow, they'll knit together, they'll bond, and they'll start to form your hedge. Once you've got those whips in, the first thing I do come the next spring, as they start to put on growth, is I would get rid of the apical dominance, that first shoot down to the first bud. So I would knit the top out, just so you get them to laterally shoot, okay? So if you in your mind's eye, if you can imagine, you've got this stagger, of plants 30 centimetres apart in a sort of diamond formation. As they grow, you knock the top out, they then put on lateral growth and they start to knit together. And as the season goes on, start to nip out the laterals, which are the side branches, to encourage that thickening. Be very aware when you cut your hedge, if, you, if you're pruning out the side, that may tends to be bird nesting time. There'll be full of birds in there. So be careful not to cut or interfere with that. Make sure you do it later in the season. Oh, wonderful, Chris. That was put so beautifully. I think the other thing I like about the hedge is that it softens boundaries. And I think if you have a town garden, you've probably got a fence or a wall between your neighbours. And how lovely to soften that hard landscape. Would you agree, Anton? Yeah, it certainly does soften the boundaries. You've got some nice sort of green rather than that sort of stark appearance of the fence. I've lived in perhaps some of the rougher areas areas of cities in the past as well it's it's a very good deterrent for people leaping over fences into your garden yeah. cutting through blackthorn which has quite nice spikes on it doesn't it anton would probably give you a shock if you try to cut through it it's just that thing make your place a little bit more difficult than your neighbors to get into well i hope that's inspired our listener actually whichever garden you're in whether it's town or country i think hedges bring huge benefits okay moving on this is a nice one my wife says I should leave the spiders who seem to be all over my potting shed and in the greenhouse. Do you agree? Chris, what do you think? I think so. I think, hey, kids, leave them spiders alone. <laughs> I think they're, I, I'm not a great expert on spiders. I have a lot of them on the allotment now. These, as the autumn kicks in and the sun gets lower, they, the garden spider, well, I don't know its Latin name, its scientific name, but sort of brown with white speckles. It sits right in the centre of the web. But the web is incredibly beautiful. I'm always amazed at the amount of effort that goes into it. Nature it always staggers you, doesn't it? That this small thing has just built this incredible thing and you get the dew on it and the morning sun through it. Anton, are you afraid of spiders? I absolutely adore spiders. I always have done from a young age, really. They're, they're a masterpiece in hydraulic engineering as well. Yeah, we need to respect them basically i've never I mean, heard them described like that i have I to love say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean there's so many different types of spiders as well i think it's worth knowing that not all of them weave webs as well we've got things like the wolf spider which actually relies on pouncing on its prey as well and then there's the nursery web spider we find in our gardens, but it only builds a web just to look after its young. It makes a little tent for all its babies to live in. I think the thing to remember is that spiders very rarely in this country are a threat to humans. And yes, they are brilliant at keeping down flies, aphids, wasps, any other sort of pest, what you might consider a pest in your greenhouse or in your potting shed. So I'm with the wife on this one. Leave the spider. 
spiders. <laughs> I think it's interesting that they're one of those creatures that we humanity is somehow demonised. You know, like when I worked in Africa, it, the snakes were incredibly important because they keep down the um, rodent populations. And there's always a reason for these things to be there, rather than myths and ghost stories or whatever we make up about them. And I, you know, a spider's web on an autumn day. What a sight that is. Okay, our last one, and I particularly like this one. What is your best advice for ripening green tomatoes? Anton, what do you do with your green tomatoes? Well, I must admit, I put them in a fruit bowl with the other fruit because I know that there's a gas called ethene which comes off ripe bananas and apples, which will help to ripen those fruits. Some people say they would put them in a drawer to increase that effect, to sort of increase the amount of that that gas around them. But personally, I don't like doing that because then I can't see them and I'm likely to forget about them. I like to keep my eye on them as well, because it is important that you make sure that you remove any ones which are damaged or diseased. Sometimes I find the ones later in the season, there might be a few ones which are split and those ones obviously are going to not keep so well. Chris, are you a drawer person or a fruit bowl person? I'm absolutely a fruit bowl person. I agree. You put them in a drawer and I I would forget about them. I think there's more chance of them sweating, the humidity around them. You might get moulds in there. I had quite a lot of green tomatoes this year. I think one important tip I have is I've learned this the hard way is you juggle them in the the bowl. Okay, juggle your tomatoes, which just basically means move them around because the ones on the bottom might get a bit sweaty, a bit forgotten, and they're more likely to go uh, mildewy. Yeah, I'd like to add to that because we're all, we seem to have a sort of innate fear of a green tomato hoping that it will turn red but in fact a green tomato is perfectly edible it's not like a green potato which might be poisonous and not only are they edible but they actually can be quite delicious well we all know about green tomato chutney but I make a really good green tomato salsa which involves mashing them up with lemon garlic and parsley it's really tart really good Anton are you a chutney fan? I I do like chutney but sometimes I don't always have the time to make it It's, it's a bit of a time investment So what I like to do is fry them up with a little bit of garlic and some mushrooms and have them on toast. And it's the sort of tartness of of the green tomatoes goes really well with the mushrooms. Great. So all you out there like me who've got bunches of green tomatoes, don't panic. Put them in the fruit bowl or just get eating them. Thank you, guys. I think that's everything for this month. Thanks a lot. See you again next month. Thank you. Cheers. Bye bye. Bye. Cheers. Bye bye. So now we've come to the end. If you want to follow up on any of the topics we've discussed, visit the Garden Organic website. There's plenty of growing advice there, and you can also find out how to become a member of Garden Organic. We'll support you every step of the way on your organic growing journey. Just go to gardenorganic.org.uk. Next month, we'll be watching the discussions at COP26, so we'd like to give you suggestions on what we can all do to look after our growing areas in the most sustainable way. And Chris gets enthusiastic about bees. And finally, my thanks to the Organic Gardening Catalogue for sponsoring us, and to you for listening. Have a wonderful autumnal October. Thanks to Kevin McLeod for providing the music.